Melanesia has been labelled the Pacific's arc of instability as it continues to be plagued by political and social challenges. Recently, the leaders of Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands and Vanuatu and representatives of New Caledonia's Kanak people converged in Vanuatu for the Melanesian Spearhead Group Summit. It's been called the start of a new era for Melanesia, but can this diverse and resource-rich group gain enough cohesion to shrug off the failed state tags that have been applied to its members? Johnny Blades from Radio New Zealand International has this report. Colleagues, MSG leaders, many of you will recall the cynical comments, indeed jokes, made by some political observers following the announcement in 1986 when MSG was formed. They said that we were too fragmented, too parochial in our interest and too poor to make organizations work. Many even continue to harbor similar sentiments today, often citing MSG countries as representing an arc of instability. We have proven the earlier cynics wrong, and we will show current prophets of doom that we shall overcome whatever difficulties that confronted our, our countries. Sir Michael Samari was better placed than anyone in attendance at the opening of the new Melanesian Spearhead Group Secretariat in Port Vila to hit out at the critics. Papua New Guinea's Prime Minister is the only leader still in the game who was also in office at the time his country gained independence and also around at the time of the MSG's inception as a trade bloc in 1986. As Melanesia's ultimate post-independence political survivor and the outgoing chair of the MSG, Sir Michael reported at the 17th summit that the group had come a long way. This was echoed by the incoming chair and host, Vanuatu's Prime Minister Hamlini. The Melanesian spearhead group has sailed through many turbulent waters and threatening winds. We must be proud to stand tall today as firm advocates for a stronger Melanesia that is committed to a peaceful and harmonious Pacific region. Melanesia has 85% of the people and 98% of the total land area of the Pacific community and by far the most wealth in natural resources. It's also had an abundance of disasters, from the natural to political crises to security concerns, and they can read like tabloid headline heaven. Ethnic tensions bring Solomon Islands to its knees. Tsunami terror. HIV AIDS epidemic in PNG. Fiji coups. Tax havens. Government corruption. Black magic killings in Vanuatu. Bougainville civil war. Attacks on New Caledonia nickel project. Tribal violence. Live burials of witchcraft suspects. Out of control gun use. Jailbreaks. Dengue fever. Crisis. Illegal logging. The term failed states was coined for Melanesia by the Australian government of John Howard in the post-9-11 environment when Canberra adopted a new policy of regional intervention. As Rex Rumakek of the Fiji-based Pacific Concerns Resource Centre explains, this policy direction put particular focus on the security risk posed by Australia's Melanesian neighbours. But this instability has never been questioned before until the terrorism issue came to light and the people began to build up this issue of insecurity or unstable government. But instability has been a feature of Melanesia long before 9-11. Perched on the Pacific Ring of Fire, Melanesia is young and unsettled land, 
prone to seismic and tectonic volatility, a volatility found in its diversity and that's also reflected in its politics. For Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands and Vanuatu, independence was only gained in the 1970s and the teething problems have meant major issues with government instability. For all these countries except Fiji, parliamentary politics is driven by no-confidence motions put forward by opposition MPs and governments rarely last a full term. Professor John Henderson of the University of Canterbury's School of Political Science and Communication says that Melanesia's former colonial powers like Britain, Australia and France need to bear some responsibility for some of these problems. They, well, they preach the virtues of not only human rights but Western political systems. The, um, the Melanesians will argue that it's not always a system appropriate to their culture and uh, that the foundations of a Westminster-type democratic system is that you have a government in opposition. The Melanesian view of that is that's divisive. We shouldn't be trying to divide all the time. We should be coming together. Now, that's uh, only an ideal so far, but it does point to the the difference between traditional ways and more modern ways, so-called, and how they themselves can add to the seeds of conflict. The creation of the MSG may have been initially as a trade bloc, but it was also intended as a coming together of all Melanesian peoples. The FLNKS Pro-Independence Alliance of Political Parties in New Caledonia was granted observer status early in the fray. Charles Weir, the FLNKS External Affairs spokesman, says membership at the MSG revived Kanak's sense of Melanesian identity after years of marginalisation under French rule. Now that they are preparing for possible independence under the new Mia Accord, the FLNKS wants to avoid the problems of other Melanesian countries since gaining independence. We want to avoid that same problem that we have in Fiji now. Uh, because uh, sometimes it's, uh, we say that we, it's a racist problem. There is a competition between uh, communities uh, because the Fijian... Uh, uh, I mean the Melanesian uh, um, people in Fiji uh, they are not uh, very well implicated in, the, in, in economy because we uh, want that tomorrow if Nicaragua become independent we don't want to have a country where we have a corruption where we have a political crisis where we have to change the government every year uh, but I think it, uh, uh, it's a problem that, uh, that uh, Melanesian countries have to discuss Corruption and misuse of state funds remains widespread in Melanesia and goes largely unchecked. For example, in PNG, government records aren't being properly kept, huge sums of money have been misappropriated and there's no control exerted by the Department of Finance. Efforts are underway to turn this around, but corruption and poor governance has dogged most government agencies, eroding the delivery of basic services. In Vanuatu, attempts to tackle corruption have been largely unsuccessful. The legal advisor for Vanuatu's Ombudsman Commission, Heather Leo, cites an example from 1999 when the Ombudsman issued a public report into misuse of the National Provident Fund by politicians. And you know, once we issued that, the whole town was terrorised and even the National uh, Provident Fund building was all you know, damaged. Everything in Fila just went wild. Police couldn't control for a whole day, uh, but that was a situation where for the concern of the ombudsman, it would be also assessing what is the right timing to issue any sensitive reports. That may create political instability and also social instability. 
here on one of Port Vila's main streets, it's typical of most Melanesian urban centres that there's lots of youth standing around with really nothing to do. Often they've come to the towns in the hope of finding work, and usually there's little available. In the meantime, they look for somewhere to belong, whether it be in the arms of gangs, political leaders or the church. This MC and synth duo rocking the Port Vila waterfront each night say that corrupt politicians will be answerable to the Lord. The young people seem generally quite cynical about politics and many don't bother to vote. The ministers, when it's time for election, they come around, campaign. We'll do this and that, this and that. And when they get through the government, they never look at the people. I think uh, many uh, ministers and government allow plenty of uh, foreigners to come and take over lands. Like we can see that the government gets plenty of uh, donors, like funding agencies from overseas, and it gives them to government to help infrastructure, yeah, maintain roads and all other things. But at the end, the government uh, gets some money and uses politicians. Eh? They do their own politics with the, with the money. The other thing is uh, plenty of corruption, the government changes in the government. Public concern about corrupt politicians has reached breaking point before in Melanesia. In April 2006 in the Solomon Islands capital Honiara, riots were sparked over the election of Snyder Rini as Prime Minister by the nation's 50 MPs following national elections. Mr Rini was seen as representative of the Kemakiza government that Solomon Islanders had just overwhelmingly rejected at the polls. Much of Honiara's Chinatown district was subsequently destroyed by rioters amid allegations Chinese were backing the Kemakiza government, using financial sweetness to induce MPs to back Mr Rini. Local journalist Kuroi Hawkins says trouble often starts at the political level. It's actually politicians manipulating an already existing problem and making it larger and actually benefiting in some way financially from the devastation of our economy in Solomon Islands because with, with corruption and with the lack of law and order you can actually divert money and aid in whatever way you can. Lurking security concerns aren't unique to the Solomons. Tribal fighting kills hundreds each year in PNG but has also evolved into urban shootouts in main towns. Bougainville still struggles with pockets of lawlessness. Crime in Fiji is spiralling despite the military regime's clean-up campaign and Vanuatu's capital was recently rocked by deadly violence between tribes from a squatter settlement following black magic allegations. The director of Vanuatu's cultural centre, Ralph Ringanvanu, says the growing inequality in Melanesian society is fueling instability. Just the growing inequality between uh, the majority of people and some people who are richer or getting benefits from access mainly to state resources and that stuff that's boiling is a result of the politi political system and the way it works, our, our so-called democracy and it's also a product of this idea of economic growth that's being pushed by New Zealand, it's being pushed by Australia, it's being pushed by all the donors. How can the Melanesian countries overcome these security challenges? Agreeing on a formal MSG constitution last year and establishing a new full-time secretariat to draw together the country's best resources and talents are seen as important first steps. MSG leaders like Sir Michael Somari believe that creating a fully-fledged headquarters will see a shift from the ad hoc ways of the past. Issues arising before and after MSG deliberations 
can now be better researched, coordinated, thus giving us a more effective voice at the wider regional level. Additionally, the MSG has agreed in principle on the establishment of a joint security force which would help out in times of natural disasters as well as man-made. But beneath the fanfare at the 17th MSG summit, the group's confronted by some complex security issues. One of those is what to do about West Papuans, the almost 2 million Melanesians living in Indonesia's Papua region, the western half of the island of New Guinea. Papua, which Jakarta is now trying to divide into five provinces, was incorporated into Indonesia by the 1969 Act of Free Choice, sanctioned by the United Nations but widely regarded as a setup. This region's witnessed the longest-running and most serious conflict in the wider Pacific in terms of casualties, with an estimated 50 to 60,000 war-related deaths since the 1960s associated with Papuan efforts to secure independence from Indonesia. While Jakarta granted Papua special autonomy provisions in 2001, they've been poorly implemented, and West Papuans continue to live in a climate of fear and human rights abuses at the hands of the Indonesian military, which dominates their region. Furthermore, West Papuans have largely been prevented from sharing in the massive wealth generated from extracting natural resources on their own land. But at the Vila summit, PNG blocked the push by Vanuatu to have the MSG consider granting observer status to the West Papuans. PNG's Foreign Minister Sam Abal says his country won't allow Indonesia's Papua region to be an MSG issue. For PNG, that is an issue that uh, we don't consider as an issue that should be brought into the MSG. It's something that is an internal issue that has a lot of ramifications, implications on it. Fear of a potential Indonesian invasion has been a constant element in PNG's foreign policy since gaining independence in 1975. The sensitivity was evident when journalists at the MSG summit raised Sir Michael Samare's ire by asking what the difference was between West Papuans seeking observer status and New Caledonia's FLNKS movement, who were granted it when MSG first began. The Grand Chief, as he's now formally known, responded that the difference is that FLNKS has an official timetable towards independence. Indonesian government is doing everything possible to look after their interests. They're now looking after their own affairs. When you come to that stage, it's depending on the country that is administering authority over that particular part of the country. However, PNG continues to experience the overflow of West Papuan refugees who are often escaping over the porous border from the Indonesian security forces or fleeing the Javanization of their homeland caused by Jakarta's transmigration policy. Rex Rumakek from the Pacific Concerns Resource Centre, who's also the Secretary-General of the West Papua National Coalition for Liberation, says PNG cannot keep ignoring Papua. Let us be realistic. Papua Guinea will continue to be unstable if West Papua issue is not resolved. That's the real geopolitical situation. There will never be any stable Papua New Guinea if West Papua is still controlled by Indonesia. That's a fact. And they all know it. That's why we push for Melanesian recognition of this issue, a security issue, as well as economic and social issue. And what to do about Fiji, where in 2006 the nation's military commander overthrew a democratically elected government in the country's fourth coup in just under 20 years. At the Vila summit, MSG leaders were expected to try and gauge the commitment of Fiji's Commodore Frank Bainimarama to his promise to have free and fair elections held by next March. 
but his message, at least to the outside world, was leave us alone to deal with our own problems. Meanwhile, Fiji's Interim Foreign Minister Ratu Ipeli Nailatikau briefed his MSG counterparts on the progress his country is making towards returning to democracy. And it, the, the presentation on Fiji was uh, on what we've done so, so far. We updated them on, on that report and what has taken place in Auckland. And after, after Auckland, I addressed the, uh, the meeting on that. There seemed to be little effort by the MSG to challenge him further on this or seek alternative views on what's happening in Fiji. Perhaps this is the Melanesian way. It's early evening and I'm here at one of the many nakamals or carver drinking bars around Port Vila. This is a sort of an outdoor joint. It's very low lit. You can buy a shell of carver for a dollar or two in New Zealand. There's maybe two dozen people here, all reclined in the shadow. It's really pretty mellow, true to the numbing and drowsy effect of kava. To taste, kava is kind of like sipping muddy water, which may be why there's all this spitting. But it's said that the Nakamal is where politicians and other influential people get together at the end of the day and discuss the issues, or don't discuss. It's not necessarily a verbal thing. Commodore Bainimarama and Vanuatu's Prime Minister reportedly had a kava drinking session just last night at another Nakamal. And in fact, just tonight, one of the ambassadors in town for the summit has just rolled in and slipped off to a table in the corner with some of his offsiders. And for those at that table, who knows what weighty matter may pass their lips, apart from the kava. At the MSG summit, there was much emphasis on the traditional cultural links between the Melanesian nations. A huge reconciliation ceremony for the death of a Solomon Islander who was brutally attacked in Vanuatu last year was held at the Port Vila Chiefs Nakamal, involving several MSG leaders. At the ceremony, four chiefs councils from around Vanuatu each adopted the people of the other four Melanesian countries. Pigs were killed, and Matt's food and shell money offered to the victim's family. As a traditional chief himself, Vanuatu's Prime Minister led the way. This is quite a sight. A Prime Minister with a wooden club in his hand approaching a large pig which is standing in the foreground here, encircled by a crowd of hundreds. Mr. Lini starts jogging. He's dancing around the pig. Now he stops. He's sizing up the pig. Backlift. And he brings the club down. He sure knows how to do it. That's done the job. It's hard to imagine someone like John Howard doing this. Customary tradition breathed new life into the MSG at this year's summit and underlined growing Melanesian solidarity. But questions remain over how that growing solidarity affects the Pacific Islands Forum. PNG's High Commissioner to Fiji, Peter Iafiare, denies recent suggestions by Samoa's Prime Minister that the MSG may be looking to break away from the Forum. We are there to complement and support and enhance the regional organisation. So it's really something for us to discuss amongst ourselves, given our own uh, situation of uh, you know, political instability, security issues, which we feel we should discuss amongst, discuss amongst ourselves before we come into the greater forum. But it's definitely not a splinter group.
MSG leaders say the group's intended to strengthen the ideas and dialogue of the forum and that there's great benefit in being part of the sizeable block the forum constitutes within the UN. Meanwhile, Vanuatu's ambassador at the European Union, Roy Mickey Joy, says the MSG recognises the importance of forging closer ties with the EU. I remember a few years ago when uh, we started off the uh, negotiations for an MSG trade agreement, the reaction we got from Canberra and Wellington was, uh, what, uh, what is MSG going to trade with, uh, fish and coconut? But uh, after 22 years, there's a shift in global economic policy, letting MSG as a bigger role to play in the region of Melanesia. I think we, we represent a very important nucleus in terms of network and in, build, in terms of building up a better cooperation with the European Union. But Melanesian countries, which are currently involved in critical trade deal negotiations with the EU, want to see less reliance on imported food. There seems little good reason why, for instance, Vanuatu imports rice when it can grow it easily itself. Economic development was one of the key themes during the latest round of MSG senior officials meetings. Solomon Islands Foreign Minister William Haumai says ensuring security for economic development to proceed is the single greatest challenge facing Melanesia. All the problems that have been going on in Melanesia at the moment have economic roots. And if those economic roots are addressed, then it is my view that uh, the people would then, if they are content, economically content, then the, the nations will be united and move forward. But the cash economy and the constant push for development are seen by some as being alien to Melanesian customary principles. The Secretary-General of Vanuatu's National Council of Chiefs, Selwyn Garu, says that the focus on development and modern government is opposite to the custom system of focusing on people. If there's a big hotel down here, the road to the big hotel is star-sealed. It's great. Now, there's nobody out there. It's, you know, it's just a hotel and people coming from outside and, and, and going back. A whole group of people from Vanuatu living out here, heaps. That's the poorest condition of the road that you can never find in Port Vila. The modern system of government focuses on money and, and development. It does not really focus on the people as the most important thing. There are further concerns that Melanesians are being increasingly alienated by developments on their land, like major resource extraction. Melanesia has an abundance of natural resources, timber, fish and minerals, to name some of the most in demand. However, when the trees are felled and fish caught at the unsustainable rates that Melanesian countries have allowed, it endangers livelihoods and whole ecosystems. As for the mines, there are several foreign-run mines in Melanesia which have themselves been the source of massive social instability through unfairly shared profits, environmental destruction or unresolved land ownership issues. At the encouragement of Australia and New Zealand, Melanesian countries currently pursue the economic growth model endorsed by most Western countries. But Ralph Ringanvanu says that model misses the point of what Melanesians are about. He says despite the fact that countries like Vanuatu and Solomon Islands are among the least developed countries and have low GDP per capita rates, most Melanesians are fed and housed outside of the cash economy. In Vanuatu, uh, the cash economy is perhaps... 20% of economic activity that happens in the country. 80% of activities is in the traditional economy, and in that traditional economy, there's no cash. It's about the fact that a family has its own land on which it has its gardens. The land is land that's been owned in the family for generations, and it's also ways in which people resource the seas as well as the land. And all of this stuff happens without any cash changing hands, and families are fed, disputes within the community are resolved, the environment is kept very much intact. 
but mistrust of foreign influence in Melanesia permeates many levels of society. Chief Ruth Bule of Vanuatu's Indigenous Custom Chiefs Association warns that custom must be protected. There's a lot of infiltration by foreign policy writers with an aim that they will get a stronghold forever of our country. We can see that, we can smell it. There's nothing hidden about that. We the chiefs are very wise. We have our own traditional wisdom and we are directed by this wisdom, which has been here for about 3,500 years. Political instability and poor governance have seriously hampered the delivery of basic services like health, education and law and order in Melanesian countries. Often it's left to traditional means to get things done, particularly in the rural areas where most Melanesians live. Selwyn Garu from Vanuatu's National Council of Chiefs says that since the services of modern governance generally don't reach these parts, it's left to the chiefs' system to keep order. There are certain services that you can't find in the islands, like the police and the courts. So the custom chiefs and the custom way of life kind of manages and governs the people, 80% of the people, who live directly under the systems of custom governance. And so it's kind of everything revolves around custom all the time. While the chiefs of PNG and Solomon Islands don't have the same national role as those in Vanuatu and Fiji, there are hopes that a strengthening of Melanesian values will help custom authority reclaim ground in those places. Donald Kalpakis, a former Vanuatu Prime Minister and the country's representative at the United Nations, says the main thing the MSG countries have in common is the value of extended family. Nobody in the community should be left to be hungry or dying. Everybody sympathises everybody else. John Henderson from Canterbury University says Melanesian philosophy and its emphasis on collective rights may find a more sympathetic partner in Asian philosophy rather than the Western approach with its emphasis on individual rights. It's worth noting that the funding for the new MSG secretariat came from China. Professor Henderson says China will probably look to play an increasing role in Melanesian affairs, given its thirst for Melanesia's resources. The Melanesians, as do the other Pacific Island states, now have a, have a choice. They don't have to just go to Australia and New Zealand for help. They can, as they put it, look north and increasingly... China is willing to fund projects dear to their heart. Japan has for a long time, and we can probably expect to see Korea playing a greater role. So it's an Asianisation of the Western Pacific, I think, is what was, what's occurring. In his acceptance of Vanuatu's chairmanship of the MSG, Hamlini suggested it's time to re-examine traditional options to overcoming Melanesia's modern challenges. There is a merit in seeking practical options for restoring our cultural values and our traditional systems of governance to support the Western practices we have adopted since our respective political independence. John Henderson says the MSG has the potential of putting a truly Melanesian perspective on Pacific affairs. And if they do that, they rise above their own squabbles and quarrels and their own internal conflicts and look together at the outside world and what they can do to help themselves and the region. I think that gives them an aspiration beyond petty conflict, which has dominated Melanesian affairs today. I think we'll hear a lot more about the Melanesians' wishes for the future of the Pacific, whereas before it tended to get dominated by what came out of the forum. Its focus today has been primarily economic. I would expect as we look ahead it will become more related to uh, security concerns and to political concerns in the region. 
Melanesia stands a better chance of forging social and political stability by standing together. Yet to say their strength is in their diversity also implies that the myriad of challenges they face in the modern world cannot be solved by one model, Western or otherwise. And it seems likely that the best suited solutions will come from the Melanesians themselves. That programme was written and presented by Johnny Blades. Technical production was by Leanne Smith and Insights executive producer is Sue Ingram.